Kia ora, I'm Stephen Moe. I'm a director and impact lawyer. You're listening to Board Matters. In this series, I speak to top New Zealand directors who I met on the Advanced Directors course run by the Institute of Directors. My guests share their unique perspectives on governance and what they've learned along the way. We start with the question, what would the title of your book on governance be and why? It's a real pleasure to welcome Kevin Jenkins, who's a chartered member of the IOD, and he's the founder and director of Martin Jenkins, and he's also the chair of the advisory board at the School of Government at Victoria. He's also on advisory boards for digital companies and a director of Cheese Wheel, which is a cheese subscription service. Thanks so much for joining me. Really pleased to be here. Um, thanks very much and great to catch up with you again, Stephen. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation because the two of us recently were in a course and the opening question to all of us was a simple one, but I thought it caused us to reflect. What would the title of the book on governance be that you would write? So I'm curious in your situation, did you have a title and, and what was that? Yes, I did. Uh, the title I came up with was Governing at Pace. And it was partly because I've been thinking about the course and partly it's been a topic, I suppose, that's been on my mind for a while. And what did governing at pace mean to you? What would the chapter headings or, yeah, what, what was it going to be covering? So the, the course enabled me to sort of answer your question a wee bit better. So I suppose it was, um, the reason why it was on my mind was because, you know, I've been involved in some, um, on the boards of some startups and the like, uh, also um, entities that were going through a lot of change. And the thing that struck me was, um, on the one hand, you've got like the four pillars and, you know, the received wisdom we know about being a good governor of a, of a company or an entity of some kind. On the other hand, we, we hear endlessly uh, from all over the place about disruption, about um, you know the pace of changes quickening and all that sort of thing. And of course, it's all true. So what does it mean? You know, like can you actually be a good governor? You know, can the four pillars you know, withstand that kind of pace? So that was what was on my mind. And uh, then it made me reflect about some of those sort of the angles to it, you know, and um, so on. So I don't know things like um, human bias. So we all know that uh, humans are all subject to similar human biases. Optimism biases are classic, but there's lots more. And if, if you have time to reflect, you can challenge yourself about those. But if you're going really fast, what does that mean? Yeah, that, that's definitely worthy of reflection. So for you, the, the term pace, you're meaning the fact that our lives are just full of different things and there's lots of different pressures? Yeah. One of the um, sort of phrases that sticks in my mind, you got the four pillars, right? But Another phrase that sticks in my mind is the notion of sort of quiet contemplation, which we hear in a different different context. But I think it's an important role for directors or you know any sort of uh, person that's involved in making decisions, actually. Um, but also sort of noisy debate. So that notion of quiet contemplation, but noisy debate. You know? In fact, I've got, I've got a quote for you, um, Stephen, which I've just come across um, in the last couple of days. Um, so the philosopher and ethicist called Professor Anthony Grayling, and he's written lots of books and things, and. He's got this great quote, which um, in this context, he's talking about councillors, you know, local bodies, which is, of course, apropos, um, you know, it's relevant for this year, given the elections uh, very soon. And the quote goes like this, the duty to deliberate upon matters of common concern and to decide according to the best of their judgment. Those elected have to be fit for the purpose of acquiring information, examining it, listening to the arguments relating to it forming judgments, submitting their own judgments to the scrutiny of others, changing their minds if they encounter evidence and reasons that compel a change of mind, and reaching decisions that responsibly address the interests of more than their own partisan loyalties. So that's great, right? And that notion that you reflect 
Um, and it's incumbent upon us all to do that reading, to think about things, to bring a unique perspective, to actively listen and then debate. But I wonder if you can do that when things are moving really quickly. I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine, I just knew some people in, in Sydney, and he told me about how one of the major ride-sharing companies had entered the Australian market. That I think it was a two or three-year strategic plan. They threw it away quite quickly. And so they, what they were doing is refreshing their strategy, in you know, that kind of language, every three months. And so that makes sense in the context, right? That, that other competitors were emerging, they were trying things that weren't working and so on. Some that did, doubling down on what did. But what does that mean for governance? What does that mean for quiet contemplation? You know? Um, or the four pillars, you know, the ability to, um, and perhaps the purpose remain clear, whatever that might be, you know, to grab market share or dominate the Australian market or whatever it might be. But, you know, the others, it's, um, I think it's moot. So how does that look for you, practically speaking, you know, because you're, as we read in the intro, you're on multiple boards, different responsibilities, you know, staff to be thinking of as well. How do you carve out time for, quietness and and a bit of that contemplation well that's a good point i think in, if i drop down to the practical level I, I had a couple of thoughts about that one is um i heard on the course that you and i did Stephen, about one bank which was presenting its directors with 1500 page ball packs and um, that's obviously insane and so i think one thing that's happened is that ball packs have become a lot more well the sharper and of course data analytics i'm part of growing a data science team in martin jenkins right now and what we've found is a lot of companies have um, uh, data dashboards, uh, data-driven dashboards, but they're not happy with them. You know, they sort of they look beautiful, but are they fit for purpose? Perhaps that, um, you know they'll, they'll evolve. But the point being that um, I think people are grappling towards better ways of presenting information, and not only information that looks backwards, but focusing even more on looking forwards, which of course is what a good board should do. So I think part of the answer is um, is that 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 homing in on on better board packs essentially that can be turned around quicker another aspect though is um i i um i've got a couple of friends who are setting up an ngo it's already operational or a social enterprise actually is a better phrase they sought out my advice on one aspect and i caught up with them and i talked to them about different types of boards and things and they have deliberately adopted an advisory board approach and i said why i mean i said that sounds like a good idea to me and there's a variety of options uh, but I said, why did you choose that one? And they explicitly said, so we don't get people in the way of our decision making. Um, and so, you know, we know that an advisory board arguably is a step on the way to a mature model where you have a, a governance board, you know, if the, if the entity becomes of a size and scale. But they said that explicitly. And I think that sort of speaks volumes, eh? You know, that, that um, they want advice. They can't get people in their way. They can't actually service full governance. The four pillars would, would actually get in the way. Yeah, it's an interesting reflection. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how how this evolves because I think you're right. I'm seeing a bit more people appointing advisory boards, so they're not official trustees or official directors, but they are, you know, a recognized group of wise heads <laughs> who can provide yeah. input to the actual board. There's another angle which um, a couple of years ago I wrote an article in the Herald about. They gave it a great headline, actually, better than one I suggested, which was grit or quit. What that was about was, I've been long fascinated by, on the one hand, you hear a heck of a lot about things like uh, resilience, <clears throat> you know, and you get knocked down seven times, get up eight, the old Chinese proverb that we hear so much about. 
all good, right? And um, and you learn that from your parents and you know, get up and get back in there and that good stuff. Um, on the other side, we hear just as much nowadays about things like fast fail and learning from failure and that kind of thing, you know? And so how do you combine those two things? And um, I'm not sure of the answer. Yeah, actually, a few years back, I saw a fellow speak here in, um, in Wellington. He, he had he had a um, Google X lab, so a pretty smart guy. He was an absolute believer in, in the notion of um, learning from failure. Michael Sturtz, his name was. So he's head of the prototyping lab at Google X. Um, and he was a great believer in, you know, yep, sure, celebrating failure, and that's the sort of thing that we hear about, but also facilitating happy accidents, um, that notion that um, you, know, you never quite know where good ideas might come from, all that sort of thing. And so uh, what we do know about resilience at a company level is that relies, it's not optimism. Resilience isn't optimism. Resilience is about um, taking the hits and carrying on. Um, and that, though, in order for that to be sensible, that relies on feedback loops. Again, it gets back to governance. Yeah, if you're going at a great pace, is there time? Yeah, are the tools in place to ensure that the board is actually getting a feedback loop? Or are they just actually falling prey to management optimism and saying, no, that's no, all good. We, that thing failed, that thing failed, but we've learned from it and we're on to the next thing. You know, that's, that's called throwing good money after bad. So the question in my mind, and I don't have an answer right now, but the question in my mind is, you know, is there a vanishing point where yeah, the company's moving at such pace that governance just can't be done anymore? If so, then my friends who are establishing a new social enterprise um, have reached that point. Or are, sorry, are at that point. Hopefully it's going the other way. They've decided that they can't effectively have governance, uh, effective governance at this stage in, in the maturity of their inter- enterprise. Those are great reflections. Thank you for sharing them. And thinking about the course at the end, did you find that the title had changed or did it reinforce the title that you'd chosen? I think it reinforced it, actually, because as you as you hopefully be able to tell, um, I've looked at it from different angles, and that was partly inspired by the course. Thank you very much, IOD, and partly you know by my own reflections and thinking about it and drawing on other things I've been involved in. Uh, I think it's it's left me with a legitimate question, essentially, and and I think um, some forming views like the one about is there a, fan, a vanishing point? You know, does this in part explain the rise of advisory boards, which I've you know previously written about? that kind of thing. Um, so what I don't think um, it's done is shaken the notion of what true governance is. That means that there probably isn't, I mean, there isn't room to compromise there, but perhaps there is room to be clear-eyed and honest with ourselves about the fact that sometimes there are circumstances where with startups you can't pretend that governance can keep up. You know, maybe something like that. So I'm not sure yet, but that's, that's my current, current stage of thinking. Are there any other things that you're thinking about or noticing that you could share with our listeners, you know, trends that what we might see in 10 years and look back on today, and it would just be an emergent thought now? Uh, yeah, I've got, um, my head is full of those, like I suspect a lot of people, to be honest. I, I would direct your listeners to um, an article I wrote for the Institute of Directors, which is um, online, um, and that's about decentralized autonomous organizations. That's one thing on my mind. And so they came, that's a blockchain-based, um, essentially, uh, voting arrangement. So that sounds, um, might sound a bit radical, it might sound a bit trite in some level, but the fact is that the Australian government has received a recommendation from a select committee there to change their equivalent of the Companies Act to accommodate 
DAOs, they're called DAOs, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. There are DAOs in America right now that, uh, like a, a, there's a green DAO that's got over a billion dollars to invest. The point being that there's a different decision making. So the stakeholders involved, and you can become a stakeholder through different stakeholder through different means, uh, make the decisions through a different way. And that, that's a fascinating technology. I think it's uh, emerging, but you can readily imagine it being used in a variety of circumstances, including um, getting back to a theme, uh, local body elections or a local body decision making is another way of thinking about it. Yeah, so all around the world, democracy is being questioned and in a bad way in some places, but in a good way in others. You know, how can we bolster democracy? So I think DAOs, there's room perhaps um, for some decision making in companies and certainly room in other entities. Investment decisions, for example, yeah, within rules. So that's one thing that's in my mind. I think, um, and that certainly uh, can be operated at extreme pace with, you know, relevant risks, <laughs> of course. Yeah, so that's, that's something on my mind. Oh, that's great. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I did a paper recently looking at blockchain and the future of technology, because I think there's a lot there that it, right now it's kind of people are getting sidetracked by crypto and, you know, these yeah. little applications, but there's actually yes. fundamentally, there's some big shifts that are happening. Mm. Yeah. And DAOs is definitely one of them. You know, how do you have governance in those contexts where you get you know, lots and lots of people making decisions. As we sort of are getting towards the end here, just wondering if you could offer the people who are listening, maybe some sort of a challenge, um, something that they could take with them as they uh, finish listening to this, but maybe wrapped up in the shape of a gift. <laughs> so something that, that they could, you know, from your governance career, something that you've learned that you would leave with us as a challenge for our listeners? There's a risk of a cliche, but one of the things I did on that course that you and I did, Stephen, was to uh, write down books that I heard people talk about. And it's a bit old fashioned, but um, uh, that's the way I best absorb information because reading itself is a, also a, 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 it's a habit, but it's also a phenomena, phenomenon, right? It's a quiet time uh, where you can focus and you, you learn that habit but also there's content. So you can reflect as well as get input. So if it's a gift, I would simply say that um, you hear from all sorts of people, including lots of um, very successful people like the Elon Musk's and um, Bill Gates of the world. They read regularly. Um, I just reinforce that. That's my gift. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a great one. And it kind of links back to your um, governance at Pace title as well. And when, do, when can I go to the bookstore and pick up your copy of the book that you've written? Right. Well, I may uh, write a, um, effectively an abstract for it <laughs> um, in the next month or so. I've um, sort of sketched it out and preparing for this interview. Steve and I sort of wrote down some notes. So I didn't, wasn't completely incoherent. And I think I could readily turn that into a short piece for somebody somewhere. Uh, it's not, not quite a book, but maybe an abstract. Well, it's a starting point. <laughs> well, right. I'll definitely be looking out for it. And if it's published, we'll try to put a link to it by the time this comes out. So, well, that just leaves me to say thank you, Kevin, for your time today. Really appreciate hearing your insights and yeah, your reflections about the, the busyness of directors and what does that actually mean for governance and for companies and the future of boards. So really appreciate that and just want to say thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, Stephen. I appreciate it and I enjoyed your company. Thank you. Thanks for joining me to listen to Kevin Jenkins sharing about his book title of Governance at Pace. 
This is Stephen Moe, and you've been listening to Board Matters, presented by the Institute of Directors, the professional body for directors in Aotearoa, New Zealand. If you enjoyed this episode and you're keen to listen to more, then why not subscribe, leave a rating, and check out some of the other episodes in this series. Thanks for listening. Kakiteano.